I'm going way over, let me know, because this could have been like, we could have done like three episodes. I mean, like, <laughs> so much we could talk about here. Like, what should we focus on? Like, you know? We're good? Yes. Speeding? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owen Show, and this is a topic that I'm very, very, very excited to challenge myself on, primarily because I am not sure exactly where I stand. I've been trying to make myself ideologically um, consistent in all of my ideas and things that I say. And an area that I have been struggling with is the argument over whether or not prostitution should be legal. I'm here to discuss this with me is the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, Tim Ballard. He has done way too much. His resume is extensive. Um, We're going to get in that a little bit, but first and foremost, Tim Ballard, welcome to The Candace Owens Show. Thanks for having me. Um, I don't know where to begin with you, so I'm going to just start with telling people that you worked for Homeland Security for 12 years. You started actually in the CIA for one year, and then 9-11 happened, um, and Homeland Security was started, and you instantly knew that you wanted to join Homeland Security. Um, What was your first um, job there? Where were you stationed? I was on the the port of entry, Calexico, California, Mexicali. This is where Mohammed Atta, the the terrorist who was instrumental in the 9-11 attacks, had come across. He actually staged in Mexico. So I wanted to get on that border. So um, in in the wake of 9-11, I jumped over. Um, In fact, I was still, even before the name Homeland Security came out, I was already uh, going into what was called the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It was ICE, okay? So, uh, which, by the way, ICE does more than any other agency in the world to knock out pedophiles, you know, so I just, because I know that's been a topic and people want to get rid of ICE. That's insane to me. Absolutely insane. But anyway, so that, I worked under ICE. It was, it was the Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security Investigations. And I went down on the border to, uh, to combat terrorism. And I was there for only six months. I had the, the office I wanted. And my, I looked into Mexico from my office. Uh, we were crawling under tunnels. We were finding all those tunnels during this time. This was the early 2000s. And uh, we were, you know, I was doing what I wanted to do. And my boss called me in and he said, hey, we, we, we've selected you to help us start this new group, um, an anti-child trafficking group. And I literally, like most of my colleagues and even the world, what, what's child trafficking? What are you talking about? No one was talking about it then. And it turns out it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. And, and so that was my introduction into it. And it just kind of threw me in, into it and said, figure it out, help us design the policies, help us. All right, Tim, I'm, I'm going to cut you off. I tell you yeah. that I was ignorant even about that fact. And, and I love doing the show because I always tell people I come into these conversations ignorant and I get to learn from the experts. I was ignorant. So the fastest growing enterprise in the world is child sex trafficking. Fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world that is, is the insane. selling of people. Wow. Yep. 30 million people are enslaved. About 8 million children are enslaved, whether it's sex slavery, slave labor, or organ harvesting, which is something we are are working on mostly in the Middle East right Okay. Now. I don't think the majority of Americans know that information. They do not know that. That is incredible. No. Okay. So you, you get that call. You didn't know what it was. And you say, hey, you're now going to be the guy that's working on that. What next? So we start working these cases, and I, I was scared to death. I, I said no at first. I went back to my wife, and I said, can you believe they asked me to work this? And we, have, we had little children at the time, and she says, there's no way you're doing this. You'll bring darkness into our house. I mm-hmm. said, yeah. So I went, I, I, I was preparing my talk, my speech to tell my boss, no, he's this big, burly guy. I was scared of him. <laughs> you know, he had this big hook mustache, and I had to go tell him no. And I didn't want to do that. And, and I remember kind of rehearsing my speech in the mirror 
that next morning. Let's hear it. And it was. Let's <laughs> I, hear it. I never. I know, I, I know you know it. I never figured it out. Okay. I never got it out. I didn't have to. And it was a really sweet story. My wife came into the bathroom and she had tears in her eyes, and she said, "I'm wrong. We're wrong. You have to do this for the very reason." that we thought you couldn't do this because we have kids is the reason you have to say yes. Wow. Because we have kids. And if if it's true, and we didn't even believe the stats at the time, I know they're true now, about this being such a, you know, pervasive crime against children, um, then of course we have to, we can't walk away from it. And so my speech became easy. It was just yes. And <laughs> and we, we started in and it was a hundred times worse than I could have even perceived in my mind, the things that people do to children. And these are young children. You know, people think we're talking about child pornography or child trafficking. They think 16, 17, and certainly those are technically minors. That's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about five years old, six years old, seven years old, what people are doing to these children. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been a 5,000% increase in child rape videos uh, on the internet. And these are little children who are being abused this way. So I got into it. We started working it. And um, something shifted in 2006. Uh, George W. Bush signed into law the, the Adam Walsh Child Protect Act. And what that did, it changed my life. Uh, a tiny little part in that bill, uh, there, there used to be a statutory requirement that if you wanted to go after American pedophiles who were hurting children over, overseas, you had to prove that they had the intent to rape that child while standing on U.S. soil, which before 2006, we had zero prosecutions because you can't prove that. He eliminated that statutory requirement, which opened the gates, and they sent me overseas. I speak Spanish. They sent me to undercover school, and they said, okay, now that we don't have to prove this, all we have to do now is prove that an American left the country, went overseas, sexually assaulted a child, and now we can hold that American perpetrator accountable as if they committed that crime here in this country. It's an amazing right new an opportunity. So they sent me to undercover school and they said, go and figure it out and find the kids. And so I did. I, I, I worked in, in Central America and Latin America, going undercover as a pedophile, as a trafficker, whatever I had to do. And it, it, it almost broke me, um, not just because of the exposure to such darkness, but because if I couldn't find an American pedophile on one of these operations, I had to come home because we had no dog in the fight. The U.S. government couldn't do anything legally. But I would always find the kids. Wait, hold on. Wow. So if you were overseas and you did find, yes, this is a pedophile, this person is involved in sex trafficking, unless you could locate one American in that, you had to walk away from the situation. Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. Wow, that's really heavy. It's, it was hard. And I didn't blame. I, I would have made the same decision. It was, it's a constitutional question. Right. It's a legal question. Mm -hmm. And the country that we're working with, who are helping us, they said, where are you going? Tim, you've made yourself the bait. <laughs> You, you, if you walk out of this, it's over. The bad guys think you're the guy. You walk away from this. But there was only – we didn't have a budget. We didn't have a constitutional mandate to be there. And it, and it was kind of an unintended consequence of the whole thing. And um, there was two cases. I was working one in Haiti and one in Colombia where I got too deep. I, I went further than, frankly, I was supposed to go. Uh, I, I got so uh, impassioned trying to find these kids that oftentimes – I'd be sent down to do a training <laughs> and I would kind of go further and I would do the undercover work and kind of set it up. And there was, um, there was two cases, one in Colombia and one in Haiti. Like I said, this, I learned about this little boy. His name is Gardy. In fact, I wear his name on my, on my wrist. 
This little boy, Gardy, was a U.S. citizen, is a U.S. citizen, kidnapped in, in Haiti, living in Haiti with his family. He's of Haitian descent. He's the only one of his family that was actually born here while the family lived in, in the United States. And he was kidnapped from the church where his father was the pastor and kidnapped and trafficked. Uh, Haiti's like, I think, number three per capita in the world for, for human trafficking. And I promised his father that we would never stop until we found his son. And I thought, because he's a U.S. citizen, I can make this work. But DOJ came clear to me and they said, no, this is a Haitian crime. There's nothing, you, you gotta come back. But I'd already promised the father, right? So, and I did the same thing in Colombia. We had, I went too far in a case where I was, we were set up to, to do a big takedown, rescue over a hundred kids. But again, I, I overcommitted and we didn't have the mandate to be there. So then it was, now what? I'm 12 years in this job as an undercover operator for the U.S. government. And I went back to my wife and I said, what do we do? I, I can't work these cases anymore. And it was my wife. It's always my wife, by the way, who, who directs me. And, and I, none of this would have happened without her. She says, well, it's very simple. You have to quit your job and we'll just figure it out. Huh. And um, I had just been on the Glenn Beck show for a book I wrote. It had nothing to do with trafficking. And I didn't know Glenn that well other than... I was on a show once, um, and he didn't even know what I did for a living, except I wrote this book about American history, about uh, religious liberty. That was kind of my hobby. And, um, and I called Glenn, and I said, I'm, I'm stuck. I, I need to tell you what I do for a living. And against all the advice of his <laughs> attorneys, of his company, uh, he, he said, I can't say no to this. And he... he raise the money for us to go back down and do those two hits. Wow. Um, so I, Glenn Beck is the co-founder of all these, according to me, you know, he really is. And he's one of our, our closest friends and allies to this day. So we went down and, and we, we quit. We started this foundation. We, I, I pulled in a kind of a coalition of, of, of willing people who, who would work for free because I didn't have enough money. Uh, former Navy SEALs, guys I knew in the government who, who came in, former FBI, uh, Homeland Security guys local cops. And we went down and um, we were successful. We, we went in Columbia and rescued over 100 kids wow. on that operation. And, and, on, and on, on the Haiti operation, we found the captors. We, um, we liberated the other children. They had 28 children uh, that they were holding captive. Uh, and we were able to, um, to liberate those children, get the bad guys in jail. But the little boy, Gardy, who I you know, wear this to remember him, he wasn't there. He'd already been sold, and we haven't found him yet. Wow. Um, I want to ask a question. When you say, "Is I know you're oversimplifying. We went down there, we liberated them, right? Yeah. That sounds super easy, like you pressed a button, and <laughs> yeah. it, it's not pressing a button. No, it's not. What does that take? Take me through the day when, when this, this operation is going to come into fruition. So you're, you're, you're watching these guys. You're studying them. You know who the players are. You know where the children are right? Who are the people, because you've assembled this team, now you're on your own. You don't have government support, yeah. right? Who is around you? Who are you? Are you working with the, the government in, in, in Colombia? Who are the men that are going in and busting down doors? What does it take? Yes, excellent question. So yes, we always work with government or we won't work at all. So we basically become consultants okay. for the government and they'll sign us up as informants, officially, legitimately as informants that allow us to legally then go undercover on behalf of the government. So in the case of Haiti, we went down there, um, we, we were able to get phone records. See, a place like Haiti, here's the problem. These kids that get trafficked and kidnapped uh, in, these, in these countries that are developing, 
there's almost no hope because these a lot of these countries, most of them don't even do proactive investigations. We're very blessed to live in this country. We have, you know, first-class law enforcement, federal, state, local. Uh, over there, they don't. And a proactive investigation, which is required to liberate children, they don't do them. Right. It's all they can do to keep up with the reactive, the dead bodies, the, the homicides they have to deal with every day. Uh, and so we were able to go in and say, look, we'll help you do these proactive investigations. So we helped them and they got phone records and we were able to locate this place where we were certain that the little boy had been taken at one time. And so we flew a drone over the really high over it and we're just mortified to see there was, we counted 20 some odd children in this compound. Um, there was high walls, you couldn't see around it. And, and then we had to get in. So what's going on in there? So we, 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 we drive up to this place and they've, they've painted on the wall in Haitian Creole, you know, Happy Day Orphanage. Well, there's no registered orphanage mm -hmm. in Haiti called that. Uh, and so we know it's it's a front. What are they doing? Well, we know what they're doing. They're selling. That's, if there's if there's 8 million children who are being sold into slavery, uh, 2 million of those are just, just sex slavery every year. How do those kids get into the market? This is how they get into the market. You know, after the big earthquake in Haiti or in any kind of uh, natural disaster, what happens is... Um, people do this. They throw up a sign that says orphanage. And in the, in the wake of the chaos, innocent people are taking children. Oh, we'll take them here. And the tra it's harvest time for the traffickers. This is how children get put into the, 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 the sex trafficking or the labor trafficking market. And so the Haitian government volunteered me <laughs> to go undercover and just walk into this place. You just walked in. Just walked in. Blind, walked in, didn't know what you were walking That's into, right. if you were going to get killed. That's right, because we had no other option. We, we couldn't get any more intel except that someone went in. And being an American, I would have more um, ability to kind of trick them, mm. right? Because I don't look like I work for the Haitian police. No. So they we wired me up, uh, cameras and glasses, cameras and backpacks, hidden cameras. And I walk into this place. And... Um, it was, uh, it was probably the most emotional moment I had had in my career at that point. Because I walk in, I see these kids, and there's 28 children. The youngest is one. The oldest is like 13. And they're just miserable. And I know what's going on. Like, I can tell. And the people that came up to me immediately, they didn't even, weren't even worried. And they said, oh, you must have heard what we do here. I said, yeah, of course. That's why I'm here. Okay, so, so the kids are $10,000 each. Just like that. Instantly. Instantly. And I said, yeah, that's, that's why I came. I have a contact up in, in New York City that kind of, you know, I had my legend, my, my, my story in my mind of what I was going to do and say. And, and so we start negotiating. And I'm looking for little Guardy. I'm just dying. I'm just like, where is he? I can't tell. There's these dark outbuildings around him. And so I want to get into those. Uh, and so the police had told me, because, again, we work under their jurisdiction, if you can't find Guardy and they offer to sell you a child, buy the child. Go through with the deal. Let them conclude this deal, which will give us the evidence we need to then take this place down. And then we'll really be able to find Guardy. So at this point, I have to pick a child to buy in, in a sting operation. And I'm, I'm looking around and uh, I actually have the undercover footage. You can see this because I had another guy with me. There's two of us that walked in. And so he caught me as I'm looking for this kid. Who am I going to buy? And this beautiful little boy, he's about um, probably two years old. He, he basically picks me and he walks up to me and I just hold this little boy in my arms. And I said, okay, he's, he's the one I'm going to, I'm going to buy. 
I, I take him in my arms and I walk into some of the outbuildings while my colleague is keeping the traffickers occupied, negotiating a price and so forth. And so I'm looking in. I got my camera to pick up any other faces, any other children. And as I'm walking into this dark outbuilding on the, on this premises, this dirty, smelly, evil place, uh, I hear the footsteps of another child who's following me. And I swing around and there's this three-year-old girl. And... Uh, she, I'll tell you in a minute why I'm getting so emotional. There's a reason. <laughs> um, and she, she's looking at me and she's looking at him and I don't, I want to kind of get her out of the way. I don't want to create, you know, a, a lot of attention around what I'm doing. So I give her a candy, candy bar. Now these kids are all, we find out later and I could tell in the moment, all of them are on the verge of starvation. And I give this little girl a candy bar. She's probably never seen a candy bar. And I said, take this outside, you can eat it outside. And I have children, I know that's, they respond to that. <laughs> this little girl did something I'd never seen any child do. She took the candy bar, she broke it in half, almost like muscle memory, not even thinking, with, without taking her eyes off the little boy in my arms, breaks that candy bar in half and hands the other half to the little boy. And I just knew, I mean, God told me in that moment. They're related. They're, they're brother and sister. Wow. All they have is each other, that's it. And I'm, and what have I done? How many Americans have come down to this place, picked up a child, and that child disappears forever, and this little girl's not going to let that happen? And so I broke the cardinal rule of undercover operators in that moment, this first and last time I ever did it. I, I knelt down. I put the little boy down. Right when I put him down, she grabs him and <laughs> protects him from me, which was the sweetest thing. This little girl is just my hero. And then I broke this rule by telling them who I was, um, that I am here to help them and then they need to help me and just go along with what I'm doing and we will get you guys out of here. And she knew this girl's brilliant. She's, she's gifted in, in a way that most children aren't. And so she does and she goes along with this. We end up getting the kids out. We buy those kids in a sting operation, in a sting deal. We had to go to another hotel that we had set up where we had cameras wired to make sure we got all the dialogue and all the evidence we needed. Um, it went off perfectly. Uh, the travelers got arrested. They liberated the, or the orphanage, wow. the false orphanage. And little Guardi, of course, wasn't there. And, but the father, I told you about the father, the father of this little boy who I, who I met, who I made the promise to, that we would never, he's, he's a pastor of his congregation, of his Christian church. I promised him that we would never stop till we found his son. He's waiting in another hotel for the good news. He's waiting for me to walk through the door with his son in my arms. And we all knew that was going to happen. We believed it. And I still had hope at this moment when the police raided the, the, the front orphanage that Guardy would be there. And about 30 minutes later, they called me with the devastating news that he's not here. We got 28 kids, but he, we didn't get him. And I had to go back and tell this man what happened. And it was the most difficult and most inspiring conversation I've ever had with a human being. I went back, sat down with him. He was in the lobby of the hotel. And without saying a word, he just breaks down. I break down. We're just sobbing without even uh, exchanging any words because he knew that I didn't have a son. Yeah. But I did eke out the words to him. That, but we did, we did get 28 kids out. And then he did this most amazing thing. He slaps his hand on the table and he pops his head up and his t tears are drying. I'm still crying. He's not. And he says, stop crying. This is amazing. I said, what's amazing? He said, you just told me we rescued 28 kids. I said, yeah, but I'm worried about the one we didn't get. And he says, no, you're missing it. If Gardy hadn't been kidnapped, 
none of those kids would have had a chance. His kidnapping led to this. And I thought, wow, you know, I, <laughs> I couldn't say what you're saying were roles reversed. And then he said this, the most profound thing anyone's ever said to me. He said, if I have to give up my son so that those 28 kids could be rescued, then that is a burden I'm willing to bear. Wow. And we've rescued over 3,000 victims and children since that time. And they're all because of this, because of this sacrifice. So back to those two little kids. <laughs> so I go home that night. And I'm just an emotional mess, just like I'm happy and I'm sad and I'm bewildered by this man. Um, he, he, in fact, went to the police right after that. I went with him and he said, if you can't find parents for these children who were rescued in the name of my son, I will bring them home. He went home with eight of those 28 oh kids. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. So, I'm, so I go call my wife that night from this crappy, you know, Haitian hotel room. <laughs> I remember there's rats running around. That's all we could afford at the time. We were like piled up like 10 of us in a room and I couldn't sleep. And I told her the story. I said, can you believe this? And I said, I want to be like him, like Gesno Marty. That's his name. And she said, and I got to be careful what I say to my wife because she's, because when she says something, I know it's inspired, especially, you know, when she says it that way. And she did one of those on the phone and she said, well, let's be like him. I want to be the mother of those two children that you that you had to buy, that, that you bonded with. I want to be their mom. Will you make that happen for me? And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, we have no money. I just, I just left my secure job to start a, a nonprofit. <laughs> and, but I knew that she felt it, and, and we did it. And those kids have been home for two years now. Oh, my goodness. That is such an incredible story. So I, we have seven of our own. So that made nine. <laughs> you have nine children. You have nine, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just doing the God's God's work. I mean, that really is God's work. And I and I really want to just add some, not, not credit, but just to sort of speak about what your wife was experiencing and what she's feeling. Because as soon as you said, oh, you know, honey, they had me on sex trafficking and her initial response, that would have been my initial response. Because it's, it's a topic that no one wants to talk about. And it's because it's it actually so deeply affects us that we want to pretend that it's not happening. Um, and, and the courage uh, for her to say, this is exactly why we should do it. And I can't imagine um, how it impacts I mean, just your 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 emotionality every single day. There's no way you cannot just leave the office. Right? No. There's no such thing as leaving your work no. at home because no. you're you're seeing something that is just such just just tethers you to your humanity and makes you realize that there are just some really 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 wrong things about this world. That's right. Really horrible things about this world, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, I I try to like you know you, you want to turn the faucet off on certain types of evil because you just can't stomach it, and and talking about this issue in particular is really hard for people. And I think that's really why so many of us are ignorant about just how extensive the issue really is. So I started this uh, this episode with speaking about prostitution, and I want to pivot there. Yeah. Um, I was on a college campus, and some kids asked us, you know, what is your opinion on prostitution? Um, and obviously, my gut instinct that I wanted to say is that while I don't agree with it morally, you know, I do think that people should have the right to do with what they want with their body. But then something in the back of my head said, don't put that answer out there because I don't know that I necessarily agree with that because if prostitution was legal everywhere, there is no doubt that it would impact child sex trafficking. Yeah. So I've thought long and hard about this because I too am very libertarian in my political ideals and um, love liberty and I think people should have the right to do what they want to do. Um, I have the advantage that I know who these bad guys are. 
And, and most of Amnesty International came out, and I very much disagreed with what their position was. They're trying to promote rights for sex workers. And I get where they're coming from, but they just don't know the bad guys like I know the bad guys. And part of what they're pushing, and in New York State, just they're, they're considering a bill to, to do the same thing. Part of the sex workers' rights, according to Amnesty International and what people are pushing for, is to preserve the rights of the pimp, of the manager of the sex worker. They claim that they need that. Well, I know these guys, okay? I, I've, I've been undercover in dozens of countries, dozens of cases. These guys are, they're wicked and they're evil and they're businessmen. And you can sell a child for double or triple what you can sell an adult for in the sex market. And so these guys would love to have their business legitimized. And now they're being regulated and, and they're shaking hands with government officials and everything's good. Of course, I'll never show you the 12 little children who are under 10 years old that I, that I have in the basement, but they're for sale too. And they're going to use this new sex market that the laws have created for them and legitimized for them. And those kids will be hurt. I'm certain of it. I know, again, I know these guys because I, I meet with them and all the guys selling kids also have their, their, the, the adults for sale as well. And they're always trying to upsell you like, but you can get a 12 year old for, for, you know, just add on $500 more and I'll give you the 12 year old. I got a couple of virgins too. That, that's a thousand dollars. That's what they, this is their business. And so to legitimize it. And plus, when you go into these countries that have limited resources, it's, they don't have enough, like I said earlier, to do these kind of proactive investigations already. Now you're going to regulate, you're going to utilize government time, right, that, that they don't have and resources to regulate this new market, leaving even less time for them to do what they weren't doing before, which is investigating the cases. So you've legitimized this thing. You've created a sex market. And so the question is this, what's more important? Pre preserving the rights of children from not being raped or preserving the rights of an adult from, from being a sex worker. I'm going to choose the children. Right, every and, single and time. Every time. And that's, that's why I've come down strong on the position of, no, do not legalize prostitution. Now, do not, do not criminalize prostitutes either. I, I'm very much against any prostitute being prosecuted. Mm -hmm. I've seen too many prostitutes who once they, they've come out and told their story, they were that 10-year-old. They were that 11-year-old. And so I would never, ever prosecute prostitutes. So what, what I see that people try to do when people defend sex work, and especially, I mean, this is happening on a cultural level. I had one guest who explained to me, um, actually showed me that Teen Vogue, so, you know, which is appealing to 13-year-old prepubescent young women is saying, has a headline uh, this past year that said sex work is real work. And they go on to defend why sex work should be defended, um, is defensible, and why we need to open up the laws. And all of this is sort of falling under the umbrella of sexual liberation. And we, and it seems like we never can get sexually liberated enough, right? I mean, it just keeps going and they need more sexual, libera more sexual liberation. Um, and I'm starting to wonder, and I guess just sort of ask myself the questions if we're really kind of just hitting at, uh, I guess, unweaving the moral fibers of our, our society. Um, you know, women know, we, you know, we should be able to walk around the streets naked and we should be able to sell our bodies if we want to. This is freedom. And then when you take a look at it, the thing that's supposed to be freedom is starting to look a lot like bondage. And we are encouraging. I mean, when you look up and if you're a country and you say, well, America has legalized prostitution in all 50 states, if that was a circumstance, that's a, that's a market. Um, and, and, I just I really wonder about where we're going culturally and how this sort of contributes to what you say is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. 
And once people, and this is the thing I, before the interview, I was telling you, the root of the, the, the informs everything else is what this is. The fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world is the exploitation of children. And um, as the, the more liberal in that sense we become with sexuality, you are, is it you, what you said is exactly right. You are leading these kids to bondage. Mm -hmm. You're going to create this, this sociopolitical environment where children are told, go be free. And go on Instagram and take, you know, you know, shirtless pictures and all these. I know the pimps are, the, the traffickers are watching. Their highest recruit, their, their best recruiting tool is our social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And they, hey, come, hey, uh, I want to be your agent. I want to be, you come do a photo shoot with me. We, that's how the kids in the United States, by the way, are being sucked into trafficking. So we are encouraging what they're doing in Vogue and other places. They're encouraging bondage. They just don't realize it because they're ignorant to what is actually happening and the underbelly of this whole country and, and, and culture. Right. And, and especially when you think about the cyber market in particular. Um, and, you know, we live in this culture that most people think that pornography is okay. Women should be allowed to be porn stars. It's okay to have all of these, you know, this free uh, porn industry at your fingertips if you want to indulge in that. And then you have to ask yourself the question when you see all of these stories break about, you know, children that are being put on the internet. I actually read a terrifying story um, of somebody who was able to hack into baby cams and kid cams in people's homes and literally be looking at the footage all day of the four-year-old playing in her room, the four-year-old getting dressed, and then went and put that on the internet. That is, to me, the most traumatizing, violating thing that I could possibly think of. I'm not a parent yet, but just, just imagine in your own home yeah. and the market that's being created by this idea, again, of what should be liberation. That's right. And it's just, it, it seems like an issue that isn't ever going to be defeated if we continue to provide a market by saying, by, by redefining what morality is and, and trying to say, um, calling things free that aren't necessarily really about freedom, in my opinion. Exactly right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a really scary topic and, and you do so much, so much work in it. I mean, so where do you go from here? You're running this organization. I'm assuming you guys are no longer a startup. No, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no yeah. longer in startup mode. So it was good that you followed your heart. Yes. Yeah. How yeah. many cases do you take on at, at one time? So we're in, we're in 22 countries and we're in 25 states. Uh, we um, we just had our 1,000th rescue this summer for just for the year, which is so every year has been better than the next. And we just continue to grow and and provide the tools and education that. that jurisdictions, including here in the United States, that don't always have to combat trafficking. Uh, the other thing that we picked up, so um, in 2015, Glenn Beck started the Nazarene Fund to, to get the Christian people out of the Middle East, out, out of Iraq, as ISIS was rolling in. Mm -hmm. And um, he moved, what he did was absolutely phenomenal, by the way, he, he, but he'll never get credit. There should be a movie made about him. Uh, he moved 10,000 people out. Um, I love what Oscar Schindler did during, you know, getting 1,200 Jews out. What an amazing story. Glenn got 10,000 of people out of the Middle East and into safety in, before ISIS came in. And once they came in, we know what they did. Sex slave markets like we've never seen. You know, Christian Yazidi children and women killed the men. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, Glenn called me and said, I need, I need you to take over OUR to take over the Nazarene Fund. Wow. So um, I, he's still the founder, and we still work closely with him and Mercury One. So we're doing a lot of work in the Middle East now. So we're running uh, these operations. ISIS is still alive. They don't have territory anymore. The caliphate has been 
has been destroyed, but they still exist and they still have thousands of kids in their possession. These are, these are, these are some of the most grotesque people I've ever seen. I mean, they, they recruit pedophiles. Anyone can come in and join ISIS. Pedophiles join because of what they can now do. Mm. Um, and so we're, we're still working a lot on opening up th those areas and getting those children out of the hands of, of what ISIS. What country is the worst for sex trafficking? It's really, it's really any, any developing country that has a resort town okay. kind of is the worst. I, I'll tell you, we have our biggest office in Southeast Asia. There's so a lot going on there in Thailand and a lot of um, – that's where Westerners go to, to find children, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And, and we actually target Americans. Help, we help the Thai police target the Americans who are coming to abuse their children. And, and how are we doing in America in terms of conquering this issue? Uh, better than any other country because we have the best law enforcement in the world and we have high-tech solutions that are unbelievable. Um, the the, the, the uh, Homeland Security investigations where I came out of leading the way, just so impressed. They're our, our best partners. Um, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces, which we have, are phenomenal. We support those as well, our foundation. But there's still, there's still uh, roughly 250,000 children in the United States currently being sold on, into sex slavery. And that number, thousands of children are brought in from foreign every year. Here's the problem with America is that we are the number one consumer of child rape videos in the world. Rape so, videos. Rape videos. We are the demand. Mm-hmm. Which is why in exactly what I was talking which about. Which is why 2006 we had to pass the law because George W. Bush recognized and Congress recognized we are the problem and our people are going over and abusing these children. So that was the that was kind of the genesis of that of that bill. But kids are still being brought over and they're still being exploited because if if a trafficker can get that child into the United States, the price just went up for he's going to make a lot more money mm -hmm. by bringing the the product to the market where it's obviously where it's where it's a higher value, and so there's a big problem, and this is why uh, this is one of the arguments that that I made. I was had the opportunity to brief the president and Congress, and and I wrote an op-ed when this whole wall debate was coming up because we've rescued the children in New York City who, but for the wall, you know they they would have been rescued. They they the kids who were who were trafficked through the desert with no barrier. And I've, I've talked to these kids, you know, we, we get them out and they said, once they know, some of them are getting older now and they're looking back, what happened to them? There's one little girl who, who now works for us. She, she's in her early 20s. She was kidnapped at 12 years old in Mexico. And she was brought up, no, no, no barrier, border, or anything, marched right into New York City. And she, between the ages of 12 and 17 year, years old in New York City, this little girl was raped, we, we, we guess about 60,000 times. Before she was finally set free. And that's the fate of thousands of children. Now, she looks back on this and says, you know what? I wish there had been some kind of opportunity, one last opportunity for me. Had there been a border or a wall where they forced the trafficker to take me through the port of entry, and I saw that law enforcement officer who, by the way, these guys are trained to look for this. She said, I would have reached out. Mm -hmm. Help me. It's a one last chance. So I was going crazy during this debate about how a wall does nothing. I was like, tell that to, the, to these countless children who were raped hundreds of thousands of times, that it means nothing, that there's no opportunity there. Uh, so, so we are a, ma a major part of the problem and should be a major part of the solution. 
Well, let me just say, I mean, from the bottom of my heart, this has got to be one of the most interesting, heart-wrenching discussions that I've ever had on the show. Um, it's an issue that, I've, I, like I said, I've been almost too terrified to discuss because it's just such a scary thing, but it's become more and more necessary, especially as we see people that are actively fighting to sort of say, you know what, not only should we not have border security, not only do we need a more sexually liberated society, but we should also abolish <laughs> what you just said. We have the best law enforcement in the world. We should be in abolishing entire units of our law, law enforcement all in the native in the name of freedom um, and, and my goal is to just show people that that's actually all in the name of bondage and you that's need right. but look at all of these other countries um, that don't have what we have to realize that that's the circumstance that's right um, we wrap every single episode about allowing the person that I am speaking with to leave a voice message for the world meaning you're gonna look at this camera and <laughs> you're gonna go for two minutes um, and everybody in the world watches the Candace Owens show and they're yes. going to hear the <laughs> message that you leave are you ready I'm ready Our all right, on your market set world, I give you Tim Ballard. Hey world, listen up. They, there's slavery and it's not dead, it's alive. And Candace said something very important. Uh, she said that it's terrifying to talk about this and that's my fear that you're gonna turn us off. It takes guts to listen to this interview. It takes guts to engage. And uh, you know, I, I used to teach um, international politics at one time in my life, and, and people would, my students would talk about, oh, we talked about slavery in the 19th century. Oh, I would have been an abolitionist. I would have stood up. And I have to be the jerk, and it sounds you know, kind of uh, jerkish to say this, uh, but I had to tell them, you, you probably wouldn't have been. Because understand this, people in the North in, in the 19th century, they didn't travel into South Carolina or Georgia to see slavery any more than you and I travel to Thailand or Mexico or, or other high trafficking areas. Not that it doesn't exist here, it does, but it's more hidden. And so look back at history and, and if you probably would say, I, I would have been one of those abolitionists. I would have been Harriet Tubman. I would have been Frederick Douglass. Well, now's your chance because the parallels are almost exact. It's going on now, slavery is real. There's more people enslaved than any other time in the history of the world. And there's so much that you can do to help eradicate it and liberate and heal these children. So if you go to OURrescue.org or the NazareneFund.org, learn about how you can get involved to help us liberate the captive. That was perfect. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. That was just, oh God, I was trying so hard not to cry. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.